Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. It might be a little bit more feasible with that one, and that, that brings up a good point on the vehicle side is a lot of guys like at least like me when I'm growing when I grew up is I didn't have multiple vehicles so if this is applicable to you or this is like your only build or your only daily driver which I know that's probably applicable to a lot of people is acquiring all the parts so that you can have the least amount of downtime as possible which I've always done because I've never really had secondary or spare rigs until recently right. um, where you like you plan to do your build in a course of a weekend or a week where you have a spare vehicle that you can borrow um, so that's, I guess that would be another one budget. I squirreled off a YouTube vehicle circling back, <laughs> but one budget and two timeline. Like if this is your only vehicle, then you probably will have to do a lot of your build and big stages are all at once because you can't have your rig down for six months. Right. You're listening to America's Off-Road Podcast. Fueled by enthusiasm, a passion for the outdoors, and a spirit of adventure, we drive the industry we love. We're live back with another episode, folks, of America's Off-Road Podcast. What's up, guys? Brought to you by Off-Road Power Products. Yeah. Our website, where you can buy cool stuff for your truck, side-by-side, four-wheeler, camping gear, you name it, we've got it. We like it all. Anything outdoor-related, you can check it out, offroadpowerproducts.com. Same for all of our social media accounts. You guys want to tune in on the cool stuff we're doing. We got lots of rad builds. I got a Tundra I'm building. Ash has got a really cool Tacoma that's halfway built. Um, plus, we've got a lot of company builds going on. Yeah. Um, Cooper's not with us, as you can see. For those of you that are wondering, I'm the Hobbit, if you will, because Cooper's not here. So I'll just throw that out there now. The Hobbit. The Hobbit, the okay. uh, dwarf, what have you. All right. Um, but yeah, we do lots of cool things on social. So you guys should hop over there. Um, Off-Road Power Products on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, we make a ton of cool content there, so make sure you go check that stuff out, and you'll get a little more in-depth on exactly what we do here. But this is America's Off-Road Podcast, where we like to talk about all sorts of stuff, whether it comes to camping, fishing, hunting, off-roadering, all that stuff, glamping. Whatever it may be. Anything related to the outdoors, we're all for it. Um, On this episode, we're doing a customer request. This is a good one. And we're addressing all of them. So this customer 
pull it up here. Mr. Alex emailed me just a couple days ago. He has got a couple questions, um, and we are going to cover those, Ash and I. Um, He's got a project going on, and before we dive into his questions, if you guys want to be featured on the podcast, shoot us an email, podcast at offroadpowerproducts.com. We can address your question. Uh, If you have anything on a previous episode that you've listened to that you want us to go into more detail or have further questions, shoot us an email, podcast at offroadpowerproducts.com. As always, we are doing this because we're enthusiasts. We like doing it. Ash has been off-roading since he could drive. Um, before that. Before that. Yeah. <laughs> Shh. I guess it's legal. When it's you're, good fun. Yeah. I, like, I, I like doing these viewer questions because we, we get kind of blindsided with some some questions that we wouldn't normally come up with ourselves. Right. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I like these. Um, so, yeah, if you guys like what we're doing, leave us a review. Send us a screenshot of that review and send it to that same email address, podcast at offroadpowerproducts.com. The other thing we like and totally enjoy is when you guys send us your rigs, your camping setups, um, you know, talk about some of your trips, your adventures. We'll um, maybe send you something in the mail. Little goodie bag, T-shirt, sticker, hat, cup. We have these awesome cups you can purchase, which these cups actually are pretty cool. They keep it nice and cold. I'm not disappointed in them. Grizzly makes them. Grizzly coolers. Get them on our website. Anyways, let's dive into it. Alex, he's got three questions. Um, yeah. First one being, when you are starting a build, which I've <laughs> done a lot of those, do you like to go all in up front, meaning buy all your parts, wait till they're all here, buy every part you need and do the install, or do you prefer to do them in incremental phases? Second question, kind of similar, is when you are doing your build, do you, pre- do you prefer powder coat or do you prefer paint? And the last question um, right. is, hold on, do you remember? No. I forgot. This is all you. This is all me. I'm dropping the ball here. So his last question, oh, yeah, manual versus auto transmissions. Okay. So it's kind of all over the board, but I like it. We'll dive into, which one do you want to start with, Ash? I, don't know. I feel like this is good because I've done all three of them. Right? Like both ways, too. I know. I've painted, I've powder coated, I've manualed, I've autoed, I've tried to go all in up front. All in. Yeah, <laughs> that's a tough go. one. Let's start with that one because it's, I think that's kind of a tough question to really answer. And obviously, you know, black and white, it comes down to your budget. Like, I mean, so we'll take budget out of the question here because obviously, if you had the budget, I think most people would like to just buy every single thing that they need on their truck and just have it installed at once. So um, that's a tough one because. We can definitely go deep in this, which we should cover a lot. It it is total budget. Like, if you had the money to do it all at once, of course you're going to do it all at once. But the downfall about that, the one thing that I've always liked doing part by part is you really get to notice what each part does. Totally. Which I kind of dig is you can see the performance gains of each item. Where when you do a million things at once, you're like, you go from a stock vehicle all the way to this heavily modified and you don't know... Did the tires make it ride better? Did the shocks make it ride better? You know, so right. it's that's kind of one of those that goes half and half. I've always I've always been limited to budget, so I'll give my own personal <laughs> response here. Yeah, budget is definitely a thing for us. <laughs> a budget is definitely the biggest thing, but I to an extent because my philosophy behind it is to do everything that's attached to. How do I explain this? 
do the items that are required to be done at the same time to make the build process easy. I hate, I right. absolutely hate having to redo something that I've already done. Yeah. Or it's seeing like, the trucks that skipped leg day. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, why didn't you just, if you're going to do, <laughs> if I have to take the axle out to install a suspension kit, then I might as well regear it at the same time because right. I have the axle out. <clears throat> that's what I'm getting at. I mean, that's a quick analogy, but it can go quite a bit more in depth than that, but I would say that's what I've always shot for. So like when I do suspension, then obviously I'm going to get a little more elevation or height out of it. It's probably time to do the wheel and tire at the same time. If I got to do the wheel and tire, I probably do my gearing. Um, obviously other things like lightings, bumpers, right. stuff like that, that doesn't really have to go with that at the same time. So I've always done my builds. I guess it'd be kind of half and half where it's like, you're not doing it all at once, but you're doing everything that's in that category subcategory of parts together right and it's going back to the point you made of it's nice to see the performance upgrades and not only is it nice to see the performance upgrades but it also is going to give you a ton of information on future builds for example on my zr2 i did my suspension wheels and tires which i went from the stock size to 35s and probably drove that for a month before i re-geared it and that for me was like you know, we always preach like re-gearing your vehicle is like the most underrated upgrade that you can do. And and it's it's true, but when you actually experience it firsthand, changes your complete perspective on it. Yeah, <clears throat> that's a good point is getting a little bit of seat time. And I try to rewind a little bit. Get out and play with your rig. Because one oh, thing that I've learned over many, many years of doing this is a lot of people jump way too far and they watch too much the UB2Bs and realize I got to order like $14,000 worth of accessories and stuff with they're never going to use and they have no idea how to use. Get out there and play with it because I've learned most of the time when I get parts on my rig, like I go off of somebody else's recommendation, I buy all these parts, I never end up using them, just waiting my truck down. Right. Something that, again, I'm never going to use. I have no experience with it. I don't even need it in my area. And I ended up taking it off and selling it for half the cost that I bought it for. So get out there and just like camping, you kind of, the more you camp, the more you learn what you don't need and what you do need. So you can kind of like fine tune your build with getting out there. So don't be afraid. I've seen a lot of people like, I can't go off road until I have a winch and bumpers and rock sliders and gears. No, go out there and play. All right. That'll help your build process because you'll actually get more experience. You'll become a better driver being limited by the vehicle. Um, a prime example is that somebody that's never been off road and gets in a dip truck that has lock differentials front and rear, you're going to probably end up on guys. its <laughs> probably end up on its side or its roof because the vehicle's so capable. Right. Or if you started, you know, like a hillbilly kid like myself on an open diffed Toyota where you like you barely go up on a mound and the rear tire spins, and you, you take have it home to, and weld your <laughs> stuff together. You gotta you kind of learn how to drive a lot better you get a lot more experience and you build talent from that so try to incorporate that incorporate that into your build is like don't be afraid to get out there and learn your build and that will help cater what steps you can do like going all out you don't necessarily have to go out go out play learn what you want to buy and then do those components with each other well and the nice thing too something i've just seen from <clears throat> looking at it from an outsider's perspective watching everyone else in the building do these builds the nice thing about not going all in up front um, is you may change something. You may do wheels, tire suspension, and you might see something different that you're like, oh, man, I wish I would have done that. You go on all up front, you're complete. Oh, look at that. Our fly's back. I know. I you got to be kidding me. He's in every episode. We named him? 
I, I don't know, but he's not going to make it through all of them. I know that. Mm. If you guys are watching on YouTube, we got to fly. It drives us nuts. Mm. Um, but, for example, Cooper, obviously he changes his mind every five minutes, but a lot of his builds are in progressive stages. And when you hear his plan for the next thing, it usually always changes. So you go on up front, you're stuck with what you got, unless you want to waste a whole bunch more money and sell a used part to buy a brand new one. Um, which gets me to my next point. I think it's important when you do incremental builds is you prioritize what's important to you, but also what's important for the vehicle if you're using it for adventures. For example, if you start with wheels, tires, suspension, my recommendation would be the next thing you should do is make sure you have all the recovery gear you need because you can't use a Baja lights to wench yourself out of a ditch. Yeah, fair <laughs> so, enough. So prioritizing, I think, is... A big one for us here is what's important um, for the vehicle because I would much rather go out on the trail knowing that I have all the recovery gear I need or lockers or wheels, tires, better suspension over a rack, a rooftop tent, and lighting on a bone stock truck with with no recovery gear. Yeah. So I think prioritizing Agreed. is definitely important when it comes to incremental builds. Um, but yeah, I think the whole using your build stuff, like... You just learn so much stuff, especially on new trucks now. A lot of them are coming with lockers from the factory. I'm one of those guys that when I got into off-roading, I was not an old-schooler, open-diff guy. The first rig I had had front and rear lockers from the factory. And I took them out and basically turned my lockers on. I'm like, why is it so hard to turn? <laughs> this is weird. I can't turn. I lost, like, my power steering pump went out. Like, what's going on? No, you just can't turn with lockers on. So you you, you really do get... A lot more appreciation for the parts that you put on your rig when you go out and actually use them yeah. um it's a, a total point. evolution too because i mean i've even touched a little bit about my history going from like extremely full-blown crazy you know 42s full widths one ton axles to high horsepower trucks to you learn something from every build so if it's your first build i mean the best thing you can do is just get out and play with it and don't don't again don't be afraid to make a list of the things you think you need and then go out and experience a little bit of off-roading and stuff like that so that when you do plan your build, you your stages of build, um, you select the right parts. Because there's many of us, I mean, like you said, prime example, Cooper, that dude changes vehicles <laughs> faster than I do socks. So <laughs> it's pretty tough. And I, every vehicle, he has a little bit different goal, with, yeah. like end goal on what the truck is for. And then another worthy note, I feel like, is build the truck for what you plan on using the truck for, Jeep, ATV, UTV, for what you plan on using it for 90% of the time. Right. I see that, and it bugs the heck out of me that you see, like, a, a new truck, and you ask them what they're going to use it for, and it's, like, four service roads, but then they had to go with, like, a 37-inch mud train tire <laughs> and, like, just completely destroy all road drivability, even though that's what the truck's used for. Right. So try to build it around when you, you, you know, doing those... Like you say, stages of build before you select parts. And if you are going to do it in a build stage or stages of build, make sure you get the parts for what you're going to actually use it for. I should goes without saying. Right. Yeah. But it, what's your thoughts on, on side-by-sides? All out or like? Yeah. I mean, while we're talking about it, we sell side-by-sides. We, we play with them. We, we don't sell side-by-sides, but we sell tons of parts. Yeah. Are you same mentality on that aspect? I know you and I really haven't built one, but... I mean, I'm kind of on the same thing when it comes to side-by-sides, like just, wheels, tires, suspension, and then you can do... 
feel like side-by-sides are so good out of the box that they're more of an accessory vehicle than they are a modification vehicle. Right. Like you don't reinvent the wheel with it. You you bolt on some lights and some cool shocks and some control arms and you hit the trail. So I don't, I don't know about builds on that one. I, I like to say the same, like doing it as a, in stages. Right. But it might be a little bit more feasible with that one. And that, that brings up a good point on the vehicle side is a lot of guys like, at least like me when I'm growing, when I grew up is I didn't have multiple vehicles. So if this is applicable to you or this is like your only build or your only daily driver, which I know that's probably applicable to a lot of people is acquiring all the parts so that you can have the least amount of downtime as possible, which I've always done because I've never really had secondary or spare rigs until recently. Right. Um, where you like you plan to do your build in a course of a weekend or a week where you have a spare vehicle that you can borrow. Um, so that's I guess that would be another one budget. I squirreled off a UTV we're circling back. <laughs> but one budget and two timeline. Like if this is your only vehicle, then you probably will have to do a lot of your build and big stages or all at once because you can't have your rig down for six months. Right. And like, I think the other thing that's worth noting too when we talk about these stages is Wheels and tires alone is not a stage. Like, when you mention stages, like, for example, your Tacoma is a perfect example. You mean, like, American Forces and some underglow is (laughs) is, not a build? That is not a phase or a build (laughs) or a stage. That is just slapping on one part. We like to do it in in kind of chunks. Like Ash said, when he does wheels and tires, he also regears his truck simultaneously. When you're your, which also pretty much ends up being... Gears, wheels, tires, suspension is like one big chunk that we like to do. And that's a big chunk. I mean, <clears> It is. That, that's a lot of money. Like even just my build, uh, I've run of the mill Tacoma. It's no different than anybody else's on the, tru- or on the street other than I have some cool shocks under it. Even just doing what I did was probably close to 10, 12 grand. Yeah. So that's a big chunk of change. I mean, that's not easy to, to squirrel away from the wife or you know, hide in your pockets. And I think really when it comes down to it, if, you, if you've got the capability to do all in up front, you've probably got multiple rigs. Yeah, that's probably the you, least of your worries. It's, it's really the least of your worries. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the biggest point for me that I like that you've brought up is it allows you to see the performance increases of each individual component that you put on when you do it in stages. Instead of going from bone stock to fully built, it's cool to kind of feel the the drivability change, the capability change. Um, but yeah, for me, it's it's really similar: wheels, tires, gears, suspension, and then after that, it's recovery, lighting, and then I'll, I do a ton of camping. I know you do too. And yeah. then it's it's pretty much the the back half, which for me a lot of times is the funnest part: the rack, the rooftop tent, the fridge freezer all the fun accessories that you can throw on there um, at the end. But yeah, that's kind of, that's how I did mine. I mean, I did mine in the first big stage, like we said, yeah. wheels, tire, suspension, drivetrain. And then my next stage that I'm saving my lunch money for is armor. So I'll do sliders, bumper, winch, try to do all my armor at once. Do you know what you're going with? Not really. Right now, I mean, it's the world's on fire, so you can't really get anything. That's, you know, Cooper obviously could make this podcast, but that's a topic that he brought up when I was telling him what we were talking about. And he pretty much said that. He's like, 
COVID pretty much forced everyone to do stages of builds because you can't you can't get everything right now. Yeah. Which There's is crazy. That. And then a lot of times, like the parts that I know that I want, I can't get. So I have to make, I mean, you as well on the other side of this, you might have to make a decision on a part that's just easier, right. easier to get. It's, right. you know, parts availability is a big thing right now, um, which unfortunately is the circumstances we're dealt with right now. We can't really change it as a retailer. I mean, if we were a manufacturer, maybe, but even manufacturers, it's a whole nother, you know, rabbit trail to go down here, but yep. rabbit hole, but manufacturers are dealing with the same thing with getting components to build their products or so just the even the material just material shortages everything yeah. shipping it's it's like i said the world's on fire so that might make your build have to be in stages and it might make you change your question what i'm going to go with it might come down to whatever i can get at this <laughs> point like art tech makes some pretty cool stuff they do. i like their skid plate system i do i've even considered i mean firing up the old bender and welder and doing it like i've doing, done for many years and done my own sliders and stuff like that just blacksmith them forge them in your garage i don't know about forge i'm not gonna be out there with a <laughs> ball peen hammer no. and a blowtorch just <laughs> no not quite that haggard but um <clears throat> that'd be cool but the downfall about that is we don't sell those stuff so like the the one yeah, it's thing tough to with, sell to our customers <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like to this build specifically i've been trying to put parts on it that people can go to our website and click on and order it for and themselves buy them. <clears throat> which is cool and like, by the way you can see all these builds if you, if you are doing a build and you want to see what we have done um on the home page of our website there's a vehicle build section you can check out Asha tacoma um called grout because it's a super red color but there's all, all of our past builds um jeeps trucks side by sides uh, you guys can check them out there and kind of see and click around on it. If you click on all the products that are on that landing page and add them to your cart, you'll see why we do it in phases because yeah. that shopping cart uh, adds up quick Yeah. when it comes to uh, the cost of everything. But Yeah, I guess that kind of... I think it's inevitable, really. You got to do stages. Yeah. I mean, for the average Joe, you got to do stages. And I, I said kind of a happy medium because I, I wouldn't do like, I don't put my wheels on and then dismount my tires and then put the new tires on the my new wheels and then dismount those to put my suspension on and then take my suspension off to regear. Like I do in stages, but they're kind of big chunks. Right. Well, so. even like you and I were talking earlier, I've got wheels here. I've got tires here. I've got suspension here, but I can't get gears till like February. I'm not going to go throw all that stuff on just because I can't get gears yet. That's how much, that's how much important gears are to me. But yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd say for the most, for if you can do it all in up front, good on you. Yeah. The only con I can think of <laughs> is doing it that way is, one, you might be out of your vehicle, which if you can afford it all, you, you have like a, a Maserati and like right. a Raptor in the backyard. But the other half is just learning the different performance and the gains that you get from each item, which I'm, I'm a huge fan of, like running that tire size and then re-gearing it or running the tire size with stock gearing and then re-gearing it. It's just like the it's mind awesome. the mind boggles how big of a performance is. And same thing with suspension, driving it with the stock suspension and then modifying. That's that's really cool. You you can kind of learn a lot from it and apply it towards your future builds. Like, right. hey, I really like this about this and I didn't like this. Um, this tire did really well here, but I didn't like it the way it did there. So next time I build my next truck, I can kind of, or next time it's time to buy tires, I can apply that, you know, the knowledge that I gained. So... And do stuff that's relatable if you're going to do it in stages too. Like 
you just mentioned. If you're going to do tires, do your gears at the same time. If you're going to do suspension, do yeah. your do your tires too. Don't be the guy driving around with a 17-inch lift and bone stock tires. It's just weird. Don't be a weirdo. Don't be weird. It's that huh. easy. Just don't be weird. <laughs> All right, next question. Hopefully that answered your question. But I think at the end of the day, it's just inevitable with <clears throat> budget, with COVID availability on everything, and it just kind of really makes more sense to do it in stages um and i really do think alex that you'll appreciate it and you'll like it even better if you do it in stages because you're gonna have a greater appreciation for those parts once you um put them on and see how it changes the rideability powder coat versus paint this is a good one I, yeah because there's tons of different ways to look at it. i'm gonna answer it and then we can move on to the next one it's application dependent 100 percent. next question next question <laughs> done bye <laughs> <clears throat> is yeah. this is this like a twenty five hundred dollar beater that you don't care about? Then I'm probably going to paint stuff. And, and then it also comes back to like, what is it? Like, are we building an axle? If it's an axle, right. I'm probably going to paint it because it's down where it's going to get beat up and you know it's going to look like hell after a year anyways. Right. Or is this like a sixty thousand dollar brand new? Or I shouldn't even say sixty, ninety, hundred and twenty thousand dollar truck. Sixty thousand dollar trucks aren't that You're not gonna exciting anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, is this a brand new pickup? Please don't be that guy. I'm gonna go on a little rant here. It always bugged the heck out of me being in this industry when I would have a customer come in, like, this is an example. They'd like buy a set of fender flares right. or a visor or a bumper. They roll in with like this King Ranch, like eighty, ninety thousand dollar pickup, which is like scraping the surface now. I mean, trucks are more than homes right now, right? But if you can get them, <laughs> yeah, but you can't even buy trucks. Yeah, you can't even get a truck. But yeah, let's say they got eighty k into this pickup, brand new, just rolled in, and they want to put like fender flares on, and then they request you to like, well, can I just rattle can it? Ooh, you're like, that's hard. Like so, it, it, application dependent. Yeah, when if we say is, paint, we don't mean rattle can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean you could, but I'm thinking more of like a spray gun. Oh, see, I was thinking like we're just gonna rattle it. See, I think, huh? I guess you could. So the the way I the, the thing I like about paint is it is more of a do it yourself than powder coat is. Most people yeah. can either buy a paint gun, rent a paint gun, or like you said, a lo- actually a lot of the. Um, Auto specific paint shops, their rattle can stuff is pretty good, and it comes with like stages and yeah. stuff like that, and it sprays really evenly out of the cans. Cool thing about paint too is you can paint to match, like you can match that's, body color. That's which really I'm, cool thing. On certain applications, it's like I can think of a couple of trucks, like um, the Nomad XL, uh, Cooper's. Um, what was his last Ram? <laughs> the, uh, the one he just had? <laughs> no, the one before the uh, Sledge. Sledge paint match the front AEB bumper. That's right. I love that. That like it really like killer. tied it in rather than just having it matte black. Right. Um so paint match like professional. Yeah. Like actually having it professionally done, I, I'm a big fan of. But it also depends, again, application dependent. If it's a set of rock sliders that you know are going to get dinged up, I probably wouldn't waste my money on on powder coating myself because I'm gonna have to touch them up all the time. Right. So is this an axle? Is this a rock slider? Is this like a front bumper? Or is this like a bed rack, which is never going to get touched well, with let's, anything? Let's talk about the pros and cons of each. Mm. And then we'll go into the do's and don'ts when it comes to parts. 
So powder coat, for those of you that have never used it or done it, it's essentially a powder material that gets sprayed onto the component and then baked in essentially an oven. So you get thicker coats. There's going to be somebody that's like a powder coat specialist watching this. And be like, this guy's an idiot. Idiot. So like, I am like... That's the the rough... There's one thing I've learned about the internet is people will always argue with you no matter what you do or what you're an expert at. All the way down to drawing a stick figure, somebody will say that they can do it better than you. I was going to do a segment today because we're we're trying to change up the podcast a little bit per your guys' request, make them a little bit longer bring in some of our personal experiences but i was gonna do a segment and then you can get back to it of um we were gonna address negative comments oh i love it but we don't have any <laughs> i love it which i feel like now that i said that we're just, we're just gonna get flooded on this episode yes please do Kyle's go ahead and uh, com- comment down below in the doobly-doo and put in some uh some foul things so but, that we can <laughs> the, have the, some content the plan is to get some more segments in here for you guys uh some fun stuff so on that note, if you guys have segment ideas for us that you think would be fun, you'd like to hear, um, leave us a comment, and we'll make sure we incorporate those into the podcast. But back to me not knowing about powder coating oh, and, yeah. and how it works. As you, you mentioned, the internet and everyone's, yeah. I'm not a subject matter expert here, but I'm like the master of a lot of things, not this. <laughs> I know a lot, just not a lot about one thing, you know? Right. I believe powder coating, obviously powdered, but the item being powdered is negatively charged. And right. the powder is positively charged, or it might be reverse polarity there. I might be backwards, which attracts the powder to the item. And then it is baked on powder. Yeah, it makes or, it, uh, like, stick to it. Yeah. I, it might be positively charged, the item. I have no clue. I'm not even going to touch on that one. I yeah. have no clue. <laughs> so in layman's terms, you have a part, a piece of metal that is charged or negatively charged. I don't know. Um, item is grounded. Per our producer over here, he's way nice. smarter than me. Thanks, Corey. So, Came through clutch. So the item, the the item being powder coated, is grounded, and then the powder is attracted to it. Right. Um, so it's a little bit better adhesion, adhe, adhesion, adhesion to the item than painting. <laughs> We're crushing it today. Know, <laughs> so it lasts a little better. It has usually a. a I shouldn't say a better surface coat. It can be a little bit more rough. It's all, again, application dependent on how well it's done, how well it's applied. Because in my experience, I've had some cheap powder coating in the past, and I would have been better painting it. Like sharp edges, things like that will crack, and then you get rust, and it's just a disaster, and you spend a lot of money on nothing. Yep. So it really depends. Anybody that knows anything about painting or powder coating, it's always in prep. It's like 90% prep. It's hardly the application, to my knowledge. so powder coating works really, really well on better corrosion resistance right. and application in certain areas that's tough with paint. Um, I also think that it lays a little bit more even on the surface, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, so, I mean, powder coat, what was your question? <laughs> Just like the, the pros and cons of powder coat oh. versus paint itself, like their yeah. characteristics. Yeah. So, like, powder coat is obviously sprayed on. It's baked. It's a little bit more durable. Durable. Um, um, longer lasting, I would say. Right. Better corrosion resistance. Thicker. Mm-hmm. So, it doesn't chip as easy. Um, on certain applications, you can't powder coat. So, like, chrome, it has to have a abrasive surface. Right. Like, 
steel, aluminum, stuff like that. Um, I do believe they obviously have limitations on colors as well. Unlike yeah, paint. that's the other. That's one of their cons. I think is it's like you mentioned earlier with paint and being able to color match. If yeah. you want to do a fancier build, is you are limited to a set amount of paint codes essentially you can't mix as well as paint so there's right. there's some cons on on powder. tougher to match tougher to match on cons of powder coat um obviously I higher got, entry level cost it's i got a, a lot good more con for you and it's the first thing that pops in my head every time we talk about powder coat um because every time our stuff comes back from powder coat it's all individually every component's individually wrapped and very neatly set oh, you, if you chip it you can't just powder coat that one little section yeah Correct me if I'm wrong, but right? Yeah. You, you got to basically start over. Yeah. Which, Correct. whereas paint, you, it's a little bit easier to. You can use rub, touch up paint. Touch up paint, something yeah. like that. But Which that, is cool because I would a lot say of, that's a con to, to powder coat. A lot of good manufacturers have actually done that. Like I think of um, like AEV comes to mind. They do a really nice kind of a matte black textured finish. Yeah. Um, almost like a hammer tone. So it has little raised it's almost like there's sand in it where it's a little bit more rougher of a surface so it's less likely to chip or ding yeah but then they also have um touch-up paint that matches the same tone so if you have this nice powder coated bumper you get some rock rash on it you can touch it up with paint um so i guess cons for powder coat we touched yeah. a little bit on chips you can't chip. you can't really repair it uh you're limited on on matching if you are into color matching your accessories and everything else yeah. You're limited there. Cost. And cost. And the other thing, is, which is a con for me, is it's not really a big do-it-yourself yeah. thing. You, you need the proper tools. You need to know what you're doing, and you need an oven to bake it in. You don't, you don't just go into your garage and say, I'm going to go powder coat this and this. I don't know. Maybe some, some people are, but. You can do, like, little things. Like, I have a lot of friends sure. that do, like, small, yeah. uh, like, motorcycle parts and stuff like that where they can fit in their uh, you know, uh, house oven. oven yeah they yeah. have a spare oven in the garage that they can there you go you know, big stuff um similar to like cerakote yeah um, which is cool for like gun parts and stuff like that mm -hmm. but you're not gonna put a rock slider in an oven or a bumper or something like that so you have to have really a powder coat shop that knows what they're doing doing yeah. hey guys tonight's episode is brought to you by redhead steering gears kyle what makes a redhead steering box so good well, first and foremost, they are a family-owned and operated company, but they have unmatched quality. One thing that's extremely unique to Redhead Steering Gear Boxes is they custom fit every single worm gear and piston assembly into those steering boxes. Redhead also has over 500 vehicle applications available in their lineup and uh, is backed by a one-year unlimited mile warranty. So, if you're on the market for quality and reliability, stick to what we think is best, and that's a Redhead Steering Gear Box. Booyah! And then, like everything else right now, turnaround time. If you're in a, if you're in a rush, it's not something you can do same day, typically, um, just because of the process, and it, it most likely you're going to have to take it to a shop, so it's, it's not like a drop it off at noon and pick it up at five ordeal yeah. in most instances. Uh, paint, one of the big pros. We've already touched on it. Super easy to color match. It's cheap. Um, it's cheap. You can do it yourself. Um, easy to touch up. E yeah, easy to touch up. It's not expensive if you need to buy more, obviously, with the cheap factor of it. Um, I personally like the fact that you can <clears throat> show up to an auto paint shop 
and like we have Casey Auto here. We use them a lot and give them the paint code, and they're just like, cool, here you go. Like they just punch the paint code in and mix you up a can. Um, yeah. It smells great. I don't, <laughs> don't, don't have paint people. But uh, yeah, what other pros, cons with paint? Cons, I obviously, mean, I it's, think of a million. Right. Talk to me. It's difficult to lay. I, I guess we should have clarified like professional spray paint. Like, is this through a nice gun or is this like we're rattle cannon? Because I, I mean, rattle can obviously cheap. You can do it yourself. You can prep yourself, but you have the chances of it. Based on based on Alex's question here, I'm gonna say it's it's more of a do it yourself because it's a project build. Okay. We're talking about budgets and how quickly you can get things done. I don't I don't think it's professional paint. I'm I'm thinking more do it yourself paint. I've painted a lot of things. Me too. A lot of things. Like just my last truck, I had my I painted my own sliders, my rack, my bumpers. I did it all myself and it all came back to a ton of prep work. Right. Um, you know, sanding things down, getting them to the right grit level and then setting up with primers. Um, using the right, the paint for the right application. We're not talking like the, um, we're not talking, you know, your 99 cent Walmart paint. No. Like there is certain paints that you do truly get what you pay for. And I've, I found the one thing out of all paints, I gotta, I gotta give a, a mention. We don't sell it, but it is freaking awesome. I used it on a couple of my Plastic items. Dip? No. <laughs> No, what? Not quite there. We'll go right along with the neon under the truck. Um, steal it. Oh, yeah. That stuff's killer. That stuff's awesome. It is like powder coat in a can. It is amazing. Yeah. So if you're doing, again, application dependent. You can weld like, on it. Yeah. Right? Is yeah. that the same stuff I'm thinking the of? The paint's like impregnated with stainless chips, so you can right. still weld through it. So for like chassis prep, like a lot of guys that build you know, 4,400 cars or class one cars, desert trucks, stuff like that. They're using this right? because if you have a chassis component fail, they can just weld right over it on the, you know, the, in the repair pit. Yep. Um, super cool. I can't believe it, it is very expensive. It's like 20 plus a can. Yeah. Um, but I bought a couple cans to do, what did I do on my truck? I think I did my rear axle. Um, there was a couple components that I spray painted or I did my, when I did my cab mount chop, I changed, I coated it all on that. And the stuff is amazing. Yeah. Like it's, it is truly amazing stuff. So explore that option. If you're doing like a bumper or slider, that's like that in between. It's not cheap rattle can. It's not quite powder coat, but it's a do it yourself, um, you know, paint. Um, but again, paint be aware that there's a lot of different levels of pain. I've came to love certain brands. Right. Um, but it's all in the prep. Yep. And it's a, it's a great way to save money too, because a lot of these manufacturers that are making rock sliders, a lot of our manufacturers making bumpers for UTVs, give you the option to buy it raw. Yeah. Otherwise they charge you for a color. So if you want to color match it, or if they don't have the color option you have, it's just a good way to save money. Go pick up some not cheap, but not super expensive paint, buy the product raw, paint it yourself. And yeah. then you've got leftover paint for touch-up. So it, yeah. it, it's a way to, if you are building on a budget from those perspectives, you, you know, with rock sliders and stuff that you can buy raw, it's just saving you money at, um, up front too. So I got, I got one that kind of touches on, what was the thing you said about like 
customer comments or complaints or something like that, we can. Yeah. I have one of my own. Segment. You have yeah. a negative comment that you left us? Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> to my customer, though. Oh. Don't buy something that's intended for off-road use, like a bumper or a rock slider. Right. And then get it powder coated. Ooh. And, and then get upset that it has like a tiny little chip in it when it shows up to your door when it weighs like 900 pounds and had to travel across the country. Yeah, that's a tough one. Like, Once it leaves, it's really... You, I mean, you guys see how those packages get treated. They just get beat. They get there's beat no up. way to get around it. In my experience, at least, anything heavy and steel, like I keep thinking like a Scoop front bumper point. or a rock slider. Like if you're the guy that really wants this thing to be like show quality, I, I get it. I mean, that you spent your hard-earned money on an item that's supposed to come in perfect condition. But right. These shipping companies, I mean, they're moving a lot of weight. And a lot of these things, they get stacked on top of. And I yeah. see a lot of times that, like, a customer will order, you know, this front bumper. It has a little chip in it. When he gets it, it didn't leave the facility that way. But who's that liability? Right. At the end of the day, like, us as the retailer, we end up having to eat all the shipping and the freight. Right. Because the shipper won't take responsibility for it and it wasn't the manufacturer's part and it wasn't the manufacturer didn't powder coat it it wasn't the powder coater's fault so you're just going through all these hands it's a pain in the butt just understand that if you spend money on powder coating and it's got to go around the world like three times order it raw it might show up (laughs) with a ding or a chip in it or order it raw (laughs) and then you can have it powder coated locally there's powder there's a powder coated companies are everywhere Um, they really are and you can take them and that's not to discourage you if you do see the color you want. I mean, by all means, I would say the success rate's fairly good. I agree. But you make a great point because if it's powder coated, it shows up at your door and there's a chip in it. Like I said, you can't just repair that. Your your one and only option pretty much is to have it sandblasted down to bare steel, take it to a local powder coat shop, have them completely redo it. Um, chances are we're just going to be, our hands are kind of tied on that one. Yeah. It's a tough one. That's it's why there's shipping one. insurance, I guess. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, for me, the paint, I like just the do it yourself aspect of it and the, the endless amounts of possibilities of colors is the big one for me. Um, but now let's talk about components because there are definitely components of your vehicle that you do and don't want to either paint or powder coat. I know you were talking about them briefly earlier. Let's start with powder coat stuff. You just would never powder coat personally. I'm going to say anything underneath my truck, <laughs> front to rear and side. Yeah. Anything, <laughs> anything below the, uh, in my opinion, anything below the body line, I wouldn't, I wouldn't powder coat. Oh, you like below, like chest height and down? No, I mean like below, like I'm saying, frame I'm rail, short. from the frame rail down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like axles now, man. There's just too stuff. much. Too much money in powder coating to... You know, there's some guy in, like, Florida, right, that has, like, this ruby red powder-coated leaf spring and block and shock brackets. That's like, what the hell, man? There's about 75 of them if you go to SEMA. 75? I think your numbers are a little rational there. A little low? Low. Really low. low. (laughs) The truck's Um, not low. It's really, really tall. And they came up with a really cool powder coat color, which looks great for... What's sitting that? there? Yeah, they've also invented the Bluetooth drive line. Yeah, 
front drive lines. <laughs> Bluetooth front drive lines. Um, yeah, it's, I, 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 that would be a tough one for me personally to spend that kind of money to have it and then drive it for what two days and you're gonna just look under and you will find something yeah. that's chipped that's something and then god it's so application dependent because now i'm thinking like <clears throat> thinking about going to sema like last time i went there's a lot of trucks that i would pass like if this is a street truck like this is a two-wheel drive street truck you're probably not listening to this podcast <laughs> but i would probably powder coat my axles and stuff because this is this is a show rig. This is this sees nothing but perfect sunny days. Okay, that's that's totally fair to say. So there's, I mean, a lot of classic cars. Absolutely, I think yeah. that's killer. Like frame off restorations where they powder coat the frames. That's beautiful. Big fan of it. Let's but let's let's are you switch using it up this? into um, vehicles that drive forest roads? Yeah, I wouldn't powder coat. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. Like that. Yeah. That's our cup of tea. That's a tough one, but. I mean, a lot of the accessories, like Cooper did on his sledge rack and his rack on his last rim, he powder-coated the entire Nemesis rack. And that Nemesis rack has got, I don't know, like 24 different components to it. It's um, surface area, yeah. No, he painted that because it's aluminum. He didn't powder-coat it. Well, we've powder-coated several of them. We've yeah. had several of them powder-coated, like the one on uh, Howitzer's Howitzer's powder-coated? Powder yeah. That's right. So we've had a lot of them powder-coated, but... It was a parts. It was a. It was a need to do it right now. And he ended up using um, steel it on the the one on the last green truck. That's right. Um, I remember now. So coated it, just do it yourself type deal. Yeah. So general um, rule of thumb. I think things above the body line. When I say body line, I like, it's like the door well. I I would yep. be okay. Like a front bumper. You know, if this is like not a dedicated, you're not going to be smashing the rocks. Um, obviously, paint. You're not listening to us at this point. You know, <laughs> it's not your podcast. Um, if it's a nice rig that you don't use heavily off-road, like, again, you're not purposely running into rocks and things like that, then I would say, yeah, powder coat front bumper would be great. Rear bumper, swing out tire carriers, roof racks, uh, you know, anything in the bed. Absolutely. Jeeps got a lot of accessories. Yeah. A-pillar stuff and roof racks and all that can get powder coated. Yeah. Totally fine at that point. I don't know what else we can really say about that. As I mean, far as painting, you yeah. paint everything, man. Paint it all. You don't even have to mask. You just go to town. Leave the windows. Just go right over it. Yeah. Hit them with some Windex when you're done. <laughs> I've done it. Have you really? This episode is brought to you by Timbo Tusk. Whether we are packing for a long day on the trail or just a simple weekend getaway, we never leave home without the Timbo Tusk. If you find yourself cooking with a Timbo Tusk and you taste a little savory, a little, I don't know, freedom, well, that's because they are designed, built, and assembled 100% here in the U.S. of A. They come in a variety of sizes and break down easily into their own carrying case. That way, things are efficient for you to pack for a trip or, more importantly, to get ready to make a meal. So, go to TimboTusk.com. Use the coupon code AOPODCAST, that's A-O-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to get 5% off your next order. Now, back to our episode. Booyah! Yeah. <laughs> on accident or on purpose? Well, like spray paint in cages. You know how hard it is to not get overspray on windows and stuff like that? Just slide a big cardboard behind it. Ah, uh, that's always That was always my technique. <laughs> like, find <laughs> some a... cardboard and, like, <laughs> move the cardboard until you're, like, past the cardboard. Right. Oh, 
<laughs> oh man some brake clean it'll fix it right up there you go uh last question for mr alex which i like it's a good one automatic transmissions versus manual transmissions again it's another tough question because i think it is kind of specific to what you like what we always talk about what do you use the vehicle for 90 percent of the time yeah obviously if you have the option to buy or purchase a vehicle and you can get it manual or automatic this is essentially what the conversation would be because there's some vehicles now you just can't get a manual transmission in can you um, get a manual transmission now God, that's a great question i'm sure if you jeep um i'm not aware of a manual in the jails are you wish i should know that I should know that too. I'm not aware of a manual in the, in the jails or the gladiators. I know I you can get them in the new Tacoma and Forerunner. You can't not in the, in the Tacoma. Tacoma yeah. still makes a manual. Yeah, that's cool. Six speed manual. That's rad. Goofy as heck though. Like super weird ratios. Not a fan of it. Um, but like Ram, you can't get a Ram full size Ram anymore. Manual. No. Nope. Sixteen, seventeen, was it eighteen? Eighteen maybe. Eighteen was last year. Um, you just yeah, if you're buying new, you're kind of stuck to automatics, but it's pretty tough to get those three pedals these days. The Millennium anti-theft device. <laughs> it is. Millennial, not Millennium. <laughs> I know. I learned how to drive on a stick. That My first two cars were, were manuals. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm an automatic guy all the way. I, I do enjoy driving manuals. Um, the the reason I pick personally automatic over manual is because the one time I have gone out and wheeled in a manual is not the greatest experience. <laughs> There's a lot of stalling and uh, I just, and, and I, I think the people that can do it are awesome, yeah. but I just didn't have the, the time behind the wheel enough to go wheeling with a manual. It was, it was just seemed like there was too much going on. It was like a, a sense I didn't have. I can get pretty deep on this one. Talk to me. So, I uh, being a, I mean, anybody that's listening to me kind of put two and two together, kind of a Toyota guy, and we had like <laughs> 38 horsepower, so manual's all you got. Nice. Reduction is key to running a manual. Like right. You have to have reduction. And we're obviously talking about vehicle, four-wheel drive, off-road stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, manuals are fun in cars and stuff like that, too. Big fan of manuals. It's so, I guess, to to rewind a little bit i love manuals it's like being in tuned with the vehicle and being able to feel the engine rpms and shift it when you want downshift gosh when you, you want. live just, your life quarter mile at a time don't dude, you totally <laughs> just you know you don't get that with an automatic you put it in drive and you just drive like it's it's not very exciting but then you get into a vehicle like like I think of my last Ram, 650 horsepower manual. Like yeah. you can just put it right where you want it. You can downshift when you want. It's just, it's just fun. Always it's just in pure the power. fun. <clears throat> it's right. not fun in stop and go traffic and it cannot, no. it's not that much fun off road. However, growing up in kind of beater Toyotas where we had dual transfer cases and 529s or 717 gears is what I ran in mine. And having a ton of reduction, you can make a manual work really, really well. And it has its benefits in many, many ways. Right. I mean, obviously, simplicity is a big one, but it also has a lot of cons. Like you said, driver fatigue, being able to work three pedals and obstacles is very difficult unless if you have the right reduction. Right. Um, there's 
a lot that goes into drivetrain parasitic loss through automatics. Um, so if your goal is to make big power, a manual obviously has better chances of making bigger numbers, um, where they are also at that same point very harsh on the drivetrain components. You're more likely to break an axle shaft with a manual truck than you are with our manual Jeep than you are with a automatic because you do have that parasitic loss. You have a physical disconnect being the torque converter that's fluid driven, fluid driven um, to kind of give a buffer on drivetrain components, which a lot of people don't think about. Um, obviously in automatics, you can kind of bring the stall of the converter and what ratio you're in into the right RPM range to kind of creep the vehicle, where if you don't have that reduction with a manual, you're slipping the clutch, which is no good, or you're stalling the engine, or you're going through the obstacle too fast. So the key to a manual is reduction. You got to have reduction in order to make a manual work. And it's usually a lot of reduction. Right. Like my rig was, my previous trade I built had 302 to one reduction. Jeez. So it had... And seven... 17s? Yeah, so 3.93 first gear, transmission 2.28 in the first transfer case, a 4.7 reduction in the second transfer case, and then 717 gears. So you had the option basically 18 forward speeds, depending on how you laid out your first and second transfer case. Jeez. So you could run a 228N, or you could run the 47N, or you could run the 47 with the 228. So it's a lot like an Atlas or something like that, where you have a right. three-speed, you have the option to choose a reduction, and they're freaking awesome. Like, yeah, you can do, like, super slow four-wheel burnouts. Yeah, and I, there's obstacles. <laughs> That's really cool, actually. It's awesome. Um, there's obstacles that I've been through. Like, I think of certain obstacles down at the Hammers, that I was only able to get through with that reduction where I'd watch guys with automatics come into it and they would apply a little bit of throttle, a little bit more throttle. The converter would then lock and it was just enough torque applied to the tires to send them off that line. Right. And then they had to back out and reattempt that line where with that much reduction, I'd let the clutch out and just let the truck work itself. Right. And you can just kind of watch the wheel and put the tires where you want it to. So there's, a lot of pros and cons, but I would say for the majority of off-roading, an automatic is superior. And I will say this, when it comes to automatic transmissions, which <clears throat> is something that the one thing I really liked about wheeling with Cooper and everybody here that it, it's always been like a, let's do it yourself, learn, and then we'll tell you how to do it or why you yeah. shouldn't have done this way. But that's just so we can laugh first. Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but one thing I found with automatic transmissions, if you have one and you are wheeling, put it in manual mode every time you go off-roading. Yeah. Especially, well, at least for crawling and stuff. Because I've found... Also... Especially I, in, like, the dunes. Like, it took oh, me yeah. it took me a while to be like, what in the heck? Every time I needed power and stepped on it, I'd, what, I had no power. Yeah. It was like, oh, you need to go from fifth to second. Yeah. And it's just nice to have, you know, keep it in what gear you want. And then you can quickly change it. Yeah. On that topic, which I got to say before I forget, low range. You have low range for a reason. <laughs> it exists. Use low range. With an automatic, you can get away. You have, you know, five, six, right. eight, ten gears in the transmission nowadays. And low range, you know, further reduces that so that you can keep the engine in the power that needs to be. There's less stress on certain components. Mm -hmm. I like the transmission. Um and you, you can produce far more torque. So 
an example, horsepower is reduced through drivetrain, torque is multiplied. multiplied. Something that most people don't know. I so didn't know that. You can take whatever output the engine is at this RPM range. If it makes a, you know, 200 foot pounds of torque at 2,000 RPMs, and you multiply that through the transmission and through the drivetrain gears, and you're in a lower range, you're multiplying it also by what the transfer cases reduction rate is too. Oh. So you can apply a lot more torque, meaning that the engine RPMs don't stall. The engine doesn't want to stall. It doesn't want to climb, or I should say drop RPMs as quick. Um, so I see a lot of people, and this is big in side-by-sides too, yeah. they don't freaking use low range. Like you, no. you can use low range on most rigs. Don't quote me on this, but I would say anything under like 25, 30 miles per hour, yeah. I'm pretty much in low range. Even in San Hollow, which you and I both got to go, which is super rad. I don't know if I ever got out of low range. And a lot of those trails, you can get up to some fairly decent speeds. Yeah. But yeah, low range and side-by-sides is rad. Don't be afraid to use it. Um, it saves a lot of stress in the drivetrain, certain drivetrain components like transmission and engine. And that's a big thing to make an automatic work correctly is to, you know, if you're deep sand, stuff like that is, is to use it. You see those guys all the time that are, you know, in drive trying to climb a hill, four-wheel drive, but high range. The truck can barely make it up at, go to low range, it's like a whole new rig. Yeah. So, yeah, automatics. They I'm definitely, a fan. You, no matter how fast you shift, the little guy inside the automatic always does it faster. I've never <laughs> been able to beat him. He's granny shifting when you shouldn't or double clutching, whatever Paul Washer said. tires and double R. clutching. Yeah. yeah, they're they're they are fun to drive though. That that's kind of where I'm at for me. If it's going to be my daily and I drive it a lot, and it or I shouldn't say my daily. If it's going to be the rig that I use to go out and go camping and off roading, I'm an automatic guy. But like you said, manuals are fun to drive. I gotta lose my man they're, manhood card here. I gotta. <laughs> the only reason I went automatic on this truck is so that my wife can drive it. Oh jeez. I know. Oh jeez. I'm sorry, guys. I, I'm gonna sell out. You sold. <laughs> my previous truck had a South Bend like dual disc clutch, and she's my wife's like 105 pounds wet. <laughs> she, she couldn't she even push the clutch. She in. couldn't push the clutch in. So like, we'd go on these big <laughs> long trips. Like for example, I'd go racing like on the coast, Washington, Oregon, something like that. I'd race all day, and then I'd have to drive like eight hours home by myself. I'm like, I just wish you could. You're just <laughs> watching so all day. So I could sleep. So I could just sleep while you drive. So this this truck, I, I decided to go with Gosh, automatic. You've, made, you've you've made a lot of good family decisions. I know. I'm such a good. Went husband. from a single cab to a four door. Mm-hmm. Went from a giant giant yeah. truck to a mid sized truck. Women, they'll do that to you. They will. They'll get but, you. Uh, I've always been a manual guy. I love my manuals. I love driving a manual. I love, again, that it's just fun. The they only are time, fun. The only time that I don't like a manual is stop and go traffic. My dad and I just picked up a 1988 YJ. Oh, I like that. It's manual. So I sit here and say, like, if it's my off-road rig, I want it to be an automatic. We just picked up a manual for, like, hunting and cruising around in backwoods and stuff like that. As soon as I got in, I was like grinning ear to ear. I was like, I haven't driven it's a manual in so long. It's so much fun. It's just fun. It is. It, it's it's fun. And it's like it's like one of those things that's get kind of phasing out. Like we were first talking about, how do you even get a manual? Like, 
I bet you the kids these days, like all the 16-year-old kids that are getting their driver's license, I bet you a very few percentage of them know how to drive a manual. Yeah. It is. That's a, it's, it's a dying thing. I learned how to drive a manual from a tractor. Like my grandpa really? taught me how to drive a manual on a tractor. That's cool. It might have been a f- tractor or a forklift. But that's another thing. For those that have are scared to drive a manual rig, put it in low range. Like yeah. You can't kill it'll it totally, at that point. Yeah, that's how totally I've, I've taught a lot of people how to drive a manual vehicle by that's putting it in point. low range where it's not easy to stall and they can understand like, hey, this is how the clutch works. This is how I shift and row through the gears. Um, it teaches you a lot. And then once they get a little bit more advanced and understand, then you can go into high range where obviously it takes a little bit more effort to keep the engine from stalling. While we're on it, we might as well wrap up with this topic. Kind of different, but kind of similar. Belt driven or gearbox? Side by sides. You've driven them both. Belts suck, man. Dude, I, I, I'm with you, man. The YXCs are so much fun to drive. I just... Yeah, I'm like... I love the X3s because they're just yeah. like... They just handle like they're on rails. Oh, they're man. super fun. And then I love any of the xp series super fun handle really good yep but if i had to go buy a machine right now i'd buy a talon talon yxc yeah yeah it's naturally aspirated yep which is not i mean of course i want a turbo i mean come on you can do it but you could do it but (laughs) the option is there but not having a belt the only i should say one of the things i don't like is there's definitely a lot more it's not very fluid to drive it. Like a belt driven? No, um, just non belt, any, like a Talon or oh, okay. I get what you're saying. YXE. Like it's kind of sloppy in a way where, like, that belt and clutch assembly on a belt driven machine, you get kind of like that little rubber buffer, if you will, right? With throttle in and out. Like when you get into the throttle and out of the throttle, it doesn't have that hard, like, abrupt power no it's definitely smooth it's smooth where like the yxz if you're not good on the throttle like you can get yourself whiplash right but <laughs> but one thing i love about it is you can set that thing up for corners so good like you, you come in like third come into a corner and you downshift down in the a gear. second yep um and the talon or the yxz and by doing that, engine RPMs come up, and it automatically loses traction in the rear tire, so it sets you up a little bit for the corner. They're fun. They're fun. They are fun. So that's the other thing so I manuals. Don't... Manuals are just fun. That's... I know. They are. There you and go. The, my only experience was when we were in San Hollow, actually, here's what I don't like about belts. Cooper gets in the X3, goes what? You were with him. 100 feet? Yeah. Did he even make it 100 feet? Probably not. Boom. Grenades the belt. Put on a new belt. I show up. We go out. Me and the camera guy, Cameron, he's like, hey, here's, it's just this big, long straightaway with, they weren't even whoops, they were more like humps. He's like, just send it, we're going to get some killer drone shots. Cool. Hit the first bump, tires come off the ground, spin like crazy because I didn't take my foot off the gas. (laughs) Bye-bye belt. Now I'm knee-deep in the sand. It's like 90 degrees outside. It's hot. Everything back there is hot. Picking chunks of belt out of the housing. They're not fun to change. I never broke a belt that week. Yeah, no, I'm sure a lot of it's driver error. I know it was with Cooper because he just, <laughs> he just he, it's it's from it, a dead <laughs> stop in like four feet of sand just just to the floor to the floor gone. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I would say 
I mean, I wouldn't say there's breaking belts. Obviously, we're doing something wrong because <laughs> yeah. there's so many people I know that have had the original belt and they've had like the same side by side for four years. Yeah. Uh, Troy Yonker, I was talking to him about it. He's got a rig and he's like, I've, n- I've never even, I'm still on my same belt. And he's got like, I don't know, 28,000 miles on his. It's like, jeez. That's another one of those low range. If you use low range, you won't put as much stress right? on that belt and <clears throat> cooling. Belts have to stay cool. You got to keep that belt cool in order for it to last. Yeah. I like it. Alex, great questions, my guy. Yeah. I dig it. Hopefully we answered all of them. Probably. He's probably more confused now. I, I'm going to send him an email. If you're listening to this, I'm emailing you right now. Boom. Just covered your topics. <laughs> well, I feel like I feel like we wrapped that up pretty good. Yeah, we got her done. You can't really go wrong with any. You should definitely build your truck all at once as a manual, but paint everything. <laughs> except, there you go. Except the bottom half. Yeah, Chassis powder, down, powder go. Powder go that part, yeah. Manual. Mm-hmm. All up front with a belt driven side by side on the back. There you go. Boom. Problem Crushed solved. it. Well, guys, again, we can't thank you enough for tuning in. Like I said, this is all, um, we're just enthusiasts. We love talking about it. Um, Give us a call. You can talk to me or Ash on the phone. Um, We can answer any questions you have. Like I said, jump on those social media accounts. You'll see some really cool content. Um, Yeah, give us a follow. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks for tuning in. Leave us a comment, topic questions, ideas, pros, cons, what we're doing wrong. We will address all of them. Again, much appreciated. See you guys next time on America's Off-Road Podcast. Bye. Later.